Thanksgiving is the holiday for giving thanks, but it's also the holiday for food. Many of us look forward to stuffing ourselves on Turkey Day. And so I think it's really important for us to kind of take a step back and remember that while it's fun to take a day off from our regular diet, which hopefully is a little bit more balanced and healthy, it's really important still to be mindful of not going overboard. So we're going to dive into things like why we overeat, why it's harmful to our health, and ways to enjoy the holiday fun without some of the risks to your health. I'm Dr. Neha Bartuk, and you're listening to Health Discovered, a podcast by WebMD. So we've all heard the term comfort food, and Thanksgiving definitely supplies a lot of it, and also a lot of social connection. We are meeting with family and friends and eating lots and lots of different kinds of foods like turkey, mashed potatoes, casseroles, and at our house, lots and lots of mac and cheese. So for sure, this is a time that we look forward to. And it's also a time that we're kind of more stressed than usual. So we may be turning more towards these foods to just calm us down a little bit, especially during Thanksgiving and then the coming holidays. During these times, we often forget to keep moderation in mind. The good news is that there are lots of ways to enjoy all of these comfort foods in a way that is still mindful and can help us avoid uncomfortable consequences like heartburn, indigestion, and other GI symptoms. So today, I am super excited to talk to Jadeep Putt, my husband, who happens to be a gastroenterologist, about ways to maintain your own health and your family's health over the holidays. I really want to give a Thank you to you, Jadeep, my husband, for being here talking about the lead up into Thanksgiving. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like for our family of two doctors, um, but specifically what it's like for you as a gastroenterologist that may have some Thanksgiving, maybe holiday specific reasons sometimes that you get called into the hospital. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your podcast. I think I've been lobbying to be on the podcast for a long time. Thank you. For, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, it is a little um, anticlimactic because um, you mentioned uh, having me on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I was uh, envisioning coming to the uh, Midtown office in Atlanta and having, you know, being set up in this nice studio, recording with some, you know, these nice plush chairs, and <laughs> we're essentially in our basement recording. <laughs> hey, so, hey, there's a very nice setup for you. You have a mic no, and it's everything. It's nice. It's nice. There's a mic. That's, <laughs> it is. It's a little mini recording studio. So thank you. No, it's it's an honor. I've been listening to the podcast, and very proud of you for you and your staff to getting it set up and, um, you know, it's some really informative topics the last couple of months. And, um, yeah, I, 
I hope I can add to the conversation. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, our team, we have a pretty awesome team for sure. I know it's a very stressful time of year, but we do look forward to it, right? We we kind of anticipate a lot of joy and, and family time as we're leading into the Thanksgiving holidays, which basically means the holiday season and the end of the year. But I have to say, whenever you're on call, I get a lot more stressed out than than usual. And uh, sometimes I feel like when you're on call during Thanksgiving and maybe some of the winter holidays, Christmas, New Year's, you get called into the hospital more than when you're on call at other times during the year. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, luckily I'm not on call this week uh, for Thanksgiving. I have been in the past. It's been a couple of years. Um, you know, I, th- I think, you know, the frequency of getting called in on the ho- during the holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's probably the same frequency. You know, I think we remember the times we've been called in. They stick out in our minds because they're you know, during busy times or times where we want to be spending with our family. And um, that just kind of sticks out in our mind. But I think overall, I haven't really read any data on on increased calls or in- increased, uh, you know, frequency of going in hospitals to do procedures or surgeries during holiday weekends, um, you know, might be there. But I, I think it's about the same. Okay. All right. So maybe it's just something that that sticks out in my mind. So thank you for always correcting me when I'm wrong. And I know this was this may be the first time that I've I've said it with a thank you. Well, yeah. I think we we always tend to remember, you know, the bad things, right? So not not necessarily bad, but you know, we remember those stick out in our minds. Like so, that there have been times where I have gone in during Thanksgiving or been called very frequently during Thanksgiving or Christmas or Christmas Eve, and those stick out in our minds. That's what we tend to remember. Okay. That's okay. That's a very good point. Point well taken. So from a GI perspective, so I'm primary care. And just to sort of clarify a little around what it means to be on call or not, it's essentially your call weeks are weeks where you are um, basically the hospital can call on you as a gastroenterologist if there's some sort of emergency, um, some sort of need for a patient. And clearly that's very, we take that very seriously in our family that that really does come first because it is a privilege to care for people. Um, And so when needed, that is the biggest and most important responsibility. So I think that we both agree that that's something that we both think is very important. Yes. Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, these are people that are also wanting to spend time with their families. They have an acute illness that needs uh, treatment. You know, obviously, you know, it's difficult leaving your family or especially during a holiday time. But, you know, we have to remember that, you know, it is uh, we're in a kind of a privileged position to to care for these patients. And, you know, sometimes they need immediate care. You know, you can't wait and you need to to be there for them. So as a gastroenterologist, what are some of the things that you'd like to highlight as things you get called into the hospital for on an emergency basis? 
Right. I mean, it's a, a lot of times it's bleeding, GI bleeding. So, you know, uh, you know, upper GI bleeding, either uh, bleeding from a stomach ulcer or a small intestinal ulcer. Um, that's pretty frequent. Um, usually, you know, uh, unless they're very unstable, you don't have to necessarily go in that night, but they usually need a, an, uh, you know, an endoscopy or endoscopic procedure within 24 hours. So usually the, it can wait till the next morning. Um, uh, and you can kind of address it then. Um, you know, there's uh, there's other types of bleeding, not just ulcerative bleeding. There's something called variceal bleeding. Mm. So esophageal varices are, are something that uh, most typically happen with cirrhosis or portal hypertension. You can get dilated veins in the esophagus that can tend to bleed. That is something that's pretty emergent. Sometimes you can hold off to the next morning, but often you have to go in and and and, and stop the bleeding um, pretty, you know, once they're stabilized. Um, so usually overnight, but the, that does involve um, going in and, and, and kind of stopping the bleeding. The other big thing <laughs> that's very typical, um, often requires an endoscopy, you know, in the middle of the night is a food impaction. So that's when, you know, food or a foreign object, usually food, most, most of the time in adults, it's food, uh, gets stuck in the esophagus, either due to a narrowing in the esophagus. Um, it could be due to a certain, uh, you know, conditions like eosinophilic esophagitis. Um, but some people are more prone to developing these narrowings where food can get trapped. And, um, you know, that, that often needs to come out pretty soon after. Okay. Yeah. And can you help us envision, like, what does it mean when you say an endoscopy? So for, for example, something like a food impaction, I think a lot of us envision that food is stuck in the esophagus, the tunnel where, you know, between your mouth and your stomach, and maybe it's just a, a little push or a little nudge that just pushes it into the stomach and you're all good, or you pull it out, you know, and bring it back out through the mouth. Um, but talk to me a little bit about that. I know that our kids have heard many stories about uh, this, this process and this procedure. So share it with us. So usually you want to get these pieces of food out within 24 hours or else there could be, you know, uh, complications, you know, you could, you could form, um, ulcers, uh, inflammation, and it can lead to sometimes a perforation or a, you know, um, uh, yeah, tear within the esophagus if you leave it in for a long period of time. So usually you want to, um, get that piece of food out within 24 hours. Now there's times when it's very emergent, you know, you want to get the food out within two to six hours. So those are people that are, can't control their secretions. So they're constantly vomiting. They can't even handle the saliva from their mouth. They're drooling. They're having difficulty, a lot of discomfort. Those are people that you don't want to wait till the next morning. You want to, you want to go in in the middle of the night. So that's something that, you know, I've gone in very frequently for, um, so what, what it involves is usually 
first of all, putting the patient to sleep. And usually with an endoscopic procedure, I think a lot of your listeners have probably had, you know, colonoscopies or upper endoscopies. It usually involves just moderate sedation or deep sedation with propofol. So you're breathing on your own. It's not general anesthesia. With a food impaction, you definitely do want to do general anesthesia. So you want to intubate them. So you want to, you know, put them on a breathing machine. The reason we do that is not necessarily because of respiratory distress, but you want to protect their airway. Mm -hmm. So when you're taking food out of the esophagus and you're maybe going in and out a couple of times, some of that food may drop into the windpipe or the, or the trachea while you're doing that. So you want to protect the airway and keep it secure. So you want to do these procedures under general anesthesia. And, uh, after you do that, we use a fiber optic camera uh, with a, a light source, and it's hooked up to a monitor, and we insert that into someone's mouth, and we go down the mouth into the esophagus, and usually with a, with a typical upper endoscopy, we, we evaluate the stomach and the first part of the small intestine, which is called the duodenum. Uh, in a food impaction, we're really dealing mainly with the esophagus because food is kind of obstructing the esophagus, right? Uh, and yeah, I mean, I can go into it a little bit more in detail. Um, I don't want to be too long-winded, but, you know, basically use that that camera and we can insert tools down that camera to, to help um, either push the, the food into the stomach or more often what we have to do is actually pull the food out of the esophagus, out of the esophagus through the mouth. Um, and we have different tools to help do that. Who's most at risk for having food stuck? And when it gets stuck, is it usually right at the upper part of the esophagus? Or is it like, you know, sometimes people feel like, oh, I ate something, I ate a big piece of something, and it's gone down, and it just kind of feels stuck in the middle of my my chest. Where is food most likely to get stuck? And who's at highest risk for the food to get stuck? Yeah, it's it's a lot of times it's it's elderly patients, and there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is just simple poor dentition. You know, a lot of a lot of elderly patients don't have very good dentition. They meaning may, their teeth are are correct, not correct. Okay. So they're maybe not chewing particularly bulky. And the things that t- typically I see getting impacted are bulky pieces of food, so meats, like a steak, a piece of chicken. Uh, sometimes even like bulky pieces of bread. So those are things that that elderly people may, with with poor dentition may not be able to chew very thoroughly. So that just physical, you know, bulk of food going down, even a normal esophagus can cause an obstruction. Um, you know, during the holidays, uh, you know, people are eating turkey, people are eating, you know, ham, they're sometimes eating while they're talking. Um, that leads to that all leads to maybe just not chewing your food up very well. And, uh, you know, kind of crushing it up enough for, for it to easily slide down the esophagus. The other thing is, you know, elderly people sometimes develop um, rings or narrowing strictures. And it's usually, you see that usually in the distal esophagus. So that's, that's the part of the esophagus that's meeting the stomach. Um, so that's usually where you see these, uh, these, these narrowings, these strictures, and that's usually where the food t- tends to collect. 
Wow. Okay. Interesting. So so any of us can really, so we always say that digestion begins in your mouth, right? So we try to tell the kids, slow down when they're chewing and and eating. And um, so that's really an important thing to be mindful of and to be thinking about as you're eating your holiday dinner, maybe eating more than you normally would. um, And you're kind of, you know, we're Finally, back to really connecting with each other, maybe big parties. So really thinking about that first process of digestion where putting the food in your mouth, really make sure, making sure that you're chewing it properly so that you can digest it. And then clearly there are some people that are just at higher risk for this happening. Right. Another population is you see um, uh, more and more this diagnosis, I mentioned it before, something called eosinophilic esophagitis. So that's actually an autoimmune condition. It's it's usually related to people and associated with people that have other atopic diseases. Uh, so things like asthma or eczema. So other diseases that are like allergic, allergy-related diseases. Yes. Yeah. Eosinophils are kind of the immune cell that mediates allergic kind of diseases. So um, that basically just in layman's terms that, you know, these eosinophils can build up in the esophagus and cause this kind of microscopic inflammation that can lead to, um, you know, narrowings, strictures, and it's usually young people where you mm-hmm. see this in. So, so it, it's kind of two populations. You see these elderly patients with food impactions, but then you'll also, I've also scoped many 32 year old males and and often the history is, yeah, I've had trouble swallowing for many, many years. And then it'll get to a point where they may develop a stricture and then they have this full-on food impaction that, that needs to be emergently uh, taken care of. Wow. Okay, that's interesting that the, there's this like sort of bimodal age distribution. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some other holiday-related things. I mean, particularly, I think what we're trying to do in our family, so we have more and more each year to give thanks for um, with that additional additional child that has come along. So now we've got three. And definitely during the holidays, they're looking forward to us making a lot of different types of food, maybe food that... We're not cooking a lot during the the year. Uh, when it comes to me, I know they're looking forward to me just cooking, period, because <laughs> that's not necessarily something I do much of during the year. Um, so we have a lot. We have a lot at our table. So what do you think about in terms of how we kind of talk about in our house, just like making sure that we're eating mindfully, we're not overeating, we're not necessarily overindulging, but we're still enjoying these, these treats. Yeah. I mean, I think it it comes down to, yeah, you know, doing things mindfully, like you said, like, just like you want to do anything in your life. I mean, that we strive to do that, but you want to do it with kind of full attention, you know, and that's something that I actually was brought up with, you know, that, that, that comes from my parents and their parents. And as you know, my, my family's very into food. <laughs> and oftentimes, you know, I remember my mom, you know, this isn't just holiday meals, but just any meal, just, okay, no one's talking, no one's doing anything. We're just eating and enjoying our food and appreciating it. And I think what that does, number one, is you really have, start having gratitude for the food that you're given. 
and the food that you're eating. And then you really truly start appreciating all the flavors, you know, particularly, you know, we grew up with Indian food, so many different spices and flavors, and you really get to truly appreciate all the elements that are, you know, kind of in this meal that you, that that's been cooked for you. So it allows you to be more appreciative and it allows you to, yeah, maybe pick up on physical cues that, Hey, now I'm full. I'm starting to get full. You know, um, it's, it's something that you tend not to get if you're talking or if you're working, I see so many people working, you know, during, uh, during meal and just inhaling food, you really have no, you don't, you don't have as much consciousness of, of what you're putting in your body and your physical cues and just appreciation of food when you're doing that. So I, you know, even on a daily basis on uh, for lunch, I try, I try to take at least 15 minutes where I'm just eating and doing nothing else. Yeah, no, that's a great point because I think I grew up in a very different way, which was very boisterous. You know, meal times were times where we're having like really intense conversations and just arguments and discussions. And I do know that we were like scarfing down our food. And that's definitely something you're trying to instill in the children and us as, as a family of just being grateful. And it is hard, I think, when you spend all this time cooking. Can you imagine the person spending all this? time cooking the meal. Everybody sits down. They're not acknowledging it. They're not enjoying the flavors. They're just scarfing it down. It's gone. And like something that you took so Mm -hmm. much time making is just gone. Yeah. I I know my mom has had that feeling. (laughs) So maybe it was her just trying to cue us to say, hey, I like your food. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thanks, mom. I like your your food. But I think there's a balance. I mean, you know, know, holidays and even just regular dinners are oftentimes where, you know, it's the only time in the day where families are coming together. So you you do want to have conversation. You want to catch up with your kids. You want to see what's going on. But, you know, there's got to be just like in anything, you got to be a little bit of a balance, I think. Yeah, no, it's true. And this kind of comes into my zone as the primary care doc of just kind of thinking about why we may indulge in these kinds of behaviors, particularly around the holidays, where you're kind of everything has been leading up to this meal and you are stressed and you are probably have skipped your other meals going into this meal. And so you're just ready to eat and you're just hungry. And that's one of the big things that can lead to overeating. Um, and particularly during the holidays, you are going to have a lot more of those foods, of those dishes that are probably higher in fat. And, you know, we love our mac and cheese at our at our table. I can think of probably most of the dishes were vegetarian, but still that doesn't mean we're healthy vegetarian most of the time and definitely not during the holidays, but eating a lot of high fat foods, um, all of that can just sort of like stunt your, like you said, your, your own internal response to your cues that you're, you're actually full, your stomach does not want anymore. Um, and then we also have this idea of clearing your plate, like, You've got to just clean that plate. And that overrides maybe that feeling of satiety or that feeling that, like, I'm done. And I've noticed that in our kids, like, especially as they get older, maybe they feel more of that social pressure to finish their dishes. But the two-year-old, she may be scarfing things down, but when she's done, she's she will spit it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? She yeah. will spit it out and be like, no, I'm not eating the rest of this. Yeah. 
So I'm just wondering what we can learn there from our... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's just portion. I think sometimes, you know, we as parents maybe just over-portion kids. We're we're used to adult portions and kids have certainly different portions. So I think it's important to to teach them to, to, to maybe finish their plate and not waste food and be mindful of that. But then maybe it's our responsibility to portion them uh, appropriately. But, and, and if they are truly full, then yeah, not forcing them. I think that's something that was definitely imparted on me and, you know, maybe leads to overeating sometimes. Yeah, sure. For sure. And then I think definitely sort of, again, coming back to the primary care piece of it, sort of the stress management piece, where you're just kind of, there's just so much going on in the world, maybe at your own dinner table with family dynamics, where it's just sort of like this food is going to calm me down a little bit. So I just loved what you said about the mindful eating and just how you grew up. We've got to talk about that more because that is really critical in terms of just sitting down and savoring things and having gratitude. And that's really what this season is about, really, is just really kind of focusing on the things you're grateful for. Um, so I think I would love to talk to you more about that and see how we can kind of incorporate more of those ideas into our own sort of Thanksgiving, um, traditions. But I'm curious from a GI perspective, what are some of the things that overeating can do health-wise that you see in the clinic or with your patients when someone has overindulged or? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, I think overeating is usually, um, a result of what you're saying, you know, they're kind of um, manifesting a, a, a certain emotion they may be feeling, loneliness or stress or anger. And, it, you know, they're not overeating because, you know, they just, you know, have that much capacity for food. They're usually manifesting certain emotions. So I think that's something you have to be you know, conscious of. Um, but yeah, it can lead to obviously a lot of physical manifestations, you know, Chronic overeating obviously leads to obesity, being overweight, which there's all the cascade of downstream things that can cause. Um, But just in the short term, yeah, you know, acid reflux, nausea, a feeling of bloating, feeling of indigestion or dyspepsia we we talk about. Um, It's not just the types of foods you eat, you know, greasy, spicy, acidic, those kind of things, but it's also the amount of food you're eating you know, the timing of, of it, you know? So, uh, I usually tell my patients, you know, try to have about three hours between your last meal of the day and bedtime. Um, and actually the time you actually lay down for bed. So if you go to bed at 11, but you lay down for bed and watch some TV at 10, then you really shouldn't eat after seven. And that last meal of the day should be your smallest meal of the day. So yeah, there are definitely some short-term and long-term manifestations of overeating. Yeah. I know it's interesting. I think, again, that kind of comes back to this whole idea of eating mindfully. Maybe you'll eat more during the course of the day. Maybe it'll be a little bit smaller portion so that you are able to digest that in an appropriate way and be able to sort of handle that next meal without the heartburn, the indigestion, the acid reflux potentially. And then also just paying attention to the foods that personally affect you in that way, right? So I think the two of us have very different types of foods that make us feel heartburn and indigestion when we have that. Um, You are 
a man who loves his spice. I am a woman who cannot tolerate it. So I, I'm still shocked by the number of uh, different spice seasonings or what do you call it? Hot sauces that, mm-hmm, that you have mm-hmm, in our yep. cabinet. Do you have a number? Do you know how many we have? Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's <laughs> definitely in the double digits. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew till I met you that there were so many different forms and so many different types of, of hot sauces. But yeah, so each of us has maybe, I mean, there's certain groups of food that are more common in everyone to cause heartburn. Um, but they can also be individual. I know for me, bananas do it. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but they really make me have a lot of reflux. Yeah, yeah. So everyone's individual. I usually give people like kind of the general, you know, groups of foods that tend to cause it. The most obvious are like greasy, fried, processed foods, you know, spicy foods are the the most obvious. There's probably five or six other like pretty general things that affect mostly everyone. Uh, But then everyone has their own specific you know, foods that that trigger them. So what I tell people to do for not just for acid reflux, for for many uh, food related GI disorders, I tell them to do a food diary, you know, buy a little little journal or diary from drugstore. And, you know, over the next four weeks, write down kind of what you're eating, and write down your symptoms throughout the day. And that kind of prospective documenting can help you find, you know, some, some of your own personal food triggers. Um, because when you're trying to retrospectively remember what caused your acid reflux, it's very difficult. But when you're actually documenting it in real time, you can figure out those patterns. Wow. I am, I know we, we don't have much time until Thanksgiving and we've got, uh, this, this year for sure. I think we were more mindful about even planning time to to be with the family without other things intruding. So I I am thankful for that, for sure. Um, Anything that you want to close out, closing thoughts, things you wish I had asked you, things you were dying to say um, to me that you'd like to share? Um, Yeah, you know, thanks for having me on the podcast. You know, I think this is what, 20, 20, we've been going 29 minutes, no interruptions. That's pretty amazing. I think that's a record. <laughs> Maybe we should do podcasts more often. We can we can just plan our week and buy a podcast. That's right. That's the only way we it's could. It's like absolutely silent. I have no idea what the kids are doing, but they're they're silent and We've had a 29-minute conversation <laughs> with no, no interruptions. That's pretty amazing. So. Wow. How mindful of you to to recognize that. You're you're absolutely right. There are, and mind you, all three are at home and somewhere in this yes. house and doing yes. something. Um, and we haven't heard from them. So you're right. Yeah, um, they're I, awesome. <laughs> thank you so much for talking us through the experience of a, a GI doc around the holiday time and as a doctor family um, around the holiday time. It's been really interesting to talk to you. It's a a couple of things that I hadn't thought about and realize now why you like it to be really quiet around dinner time. So thank you. I've, I've learned something new today. This has just been such a fun episode. I'm so thankful to Jade Deep for joining me and teaching me a lot of things about him that I didn't know. From our family to yours, we wish you a very happy Thanksgiving and a joyful rest of 2022. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Health Discovered, a podcast by WebMD. 
I'm Dr. Neha Batuk, Chief Physician Editor of Health and Lifestyle Medicine, and I want you to enjoy your holiday while keeping your health in mind. We'll see you next time. Happy Thanksgiving.